Welcome to Social Distance Assistance. I'm Kelly. And I'm June. On Tuesday's episode, we learned about different helpers who are trying to keep their religious traditions going, even when they can't gather together. By the way, that episode, Keeping the Faith, is one of Stitcher's episodes you can't miss this week. High five. So check out the show there and feel free to add it to your favorites list. You have a mom's permission. (laughs) I liked hearing from all those helpers, but it kind of left me wondering how they're doing after the holidays are over and how we can help the helpers. I actually asked Rabbi Patrick a really similar question last week. So as a spiritual helper, a spiritual leader in a time like this, what kind of support do you need? I think that the first thing that spiritual helpers need is we need to be treated like everybody else. So how you would help your friend, your sibling, your coworker, that's how we need to be treated. There's a phrase in Judaism, Hashem provides, means God provides. And it's supposed to be a mantra of gratitude, a mantra of confidence and courage. But we can also read it from the other direction, which is God provides other human beings, right? God provided Kelly. And so what does Kelly need to do? If you're sort of a a spiritually inclined person and you say things to yourself like, well, the universe will figure it out, or it's in God's hands. Yeah, that's you. Like you're looking for a guardian angel. You, You are the guardian angel. That's why you're here. So go do it and tell the clergy, I've got you. What do you need? You know, (laughs) we're all part of these like secret toilet paper cabals right now, right? Where people are texting each (laughs) other about, oh, I found some at, you know, whatever, Wegmans. If you're going to do that for your cousin, do it for the pastor. Do it for the imam. And if you do that, the clergy will be just fine. Today on the show, we aren't going to tell you about any of those secret toilet paper cabals. Instead, we're going to explore different ways that we can tell people, I've got you. Using the power of our breath, collective imagination, and really, really good listening skills. So for today's interview, I was in my room playing with Legos and talking to a friend on FaceTime. (laughs) That's okay. You really needed a break. And it's really important that you connect with your friends right now as much as you can. That's what today's episode is all about, actually. I talked to two absolutely delightful and super chill Zen Buddhist monks who live together in the heart of New York City. My name is Koshim Paley Ellison. My name is Robert Chodo Campbell. And we're delighted to be with you. Wait, I thought monks, like, lived alone, mostly on mountains. Some kinds of monks do. But these two are married and run something called the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. And it was born out of the vision of my grandma, Menmi, who we were taking care of at the end of her life. And she was this four-foot, probably 11 Hungarian. She was four foot six inch. <laughs> uh, you know, daughter of Hungarian immigrants and this amazing, you know, very secular Jewish lady and a 
an amazing woman. And she felt through her experience through hospice and primary care and hospitalizations that there was this real lack of attention and good listening in healthcare. And so she had this idea. She said, I never thought I'd say this, but there's something to the Zen. <laughs> and you guys should start some kind of nonprofit to teach people about the Zen. They work with a lot of different kinds of people. It's a multi-faith center. But I called them because a big part of their practice focuses on supporting doctors, social workers, and chaplains, the clergy who provide spiritual care to the sick or the dying. Oh, that's going to be so hard. Normally, Koshin and Chodo would go to the hospital and hold the hands of dying people or gather people for meditation classes in the Zen Center. They had to take their meditation classes online as COVID-19 shut New York down, but their work feels even more urgent right now. Craig, who's a physician uh, at a major New York hospital, he you know, is a Zen student at our center. And we were on the Zoom meditation call last week and, you know, every you see all the little people and then suddenly there's this image, everyone's in their living room and then there's this plastic shield with a mask and, you know, the coat, he's wearing his lab coat with a clear detective gown and gloves sitting in Sazen against the wall in the hospital with a gurney behind him. And him just writing to me afterwards and saying, like, I couldn't continue to do this work without the support of the community. Contemplative care is like this extra layer of spiritual and emotional support. And at its core, contemplative care is about listening really, really well being totally invested in what someone is saying without an agenda or without providing a solution. Another way of putting it is saying that contemplative care means being really present with someone. One of the things that I often like to ask people, like, just think about the person in your life, maybe they're dead, maybe they're alive, who you feel like really listened to you. Really, like you could go and tell them anything. And they would just be there. So for us, that's the kind of presence that we're talking about, that everyone kind of knows when you know it. And so we train people to learn how to burn through some of their habits so that they can just quiet down, slow down, and widen out into a relationship. How can you listen well to somebody in that really present way when something like COVID-19 prevents you from being physically with them? Being with people who are either on the front lines working uh, in hospitals uh, or family members that uh, have family in, in, the, in the ICU or in the isolation rooms, the way that I can be with someone in those moments is simply with the breath. So we're on the phone or we're, uh, we're communicating through a glass partition on an iPad or whatever it is to 
allow each other, allow for each of us to simply breathe together. When, and then when we find that rhythm, that we're both in the same rhythm, the person that I'm physically distanced from knows that where I'm actually with them on a, on a very different plane, which is not what many people do. You know, when uh, these moments come up to just stop, take a breath. As I was saying to someone earlier on the phone, they had just been diagnosed and they didn't know what to do and go to the hospital or stay home or what's going to happen in the future or where they're going to die. And there was this whole kind of just onslaught of words coming through the phone. And I said, you know, just stop for a moment. Let's just breathe. All we have right now is what's right here in this moment. Can we just stay here? I don't want to be crass, but is that more difficult when they're dealing with something that's attacking their lungs? I mean, perhaps, right? Mm. But I think two things, actually three things. So one is what Jung talked about, like the most damaging thing we can do for another person is not to have an imagination about them. I'm thinking about my cousin Israel who died two days ago of COVID and no one could go see him. Many of our cousins wanted to go see him, but nobody could go see him. You know, he lost his beloved wife years ago, Felice. And so I decided what I could do is imagine him feeling Felice's presence in some way. And my my was imagining him as he was taking his last breath, knowing he was dying, imagining himself uniting again with her, because I know that was the most important thing for him. So to me, it's like one of the ways that we can be with someone and not be with them is to imagine for them and imagine, you know, that kind of healing. And another part of it is, you know, to realize that we are connected, you know, that we, from a Buddhist perspective, there's, we can't actually be separated. The imagination makes me think of my daughter who is currently busy. And her question for you guys was, is there something different about what kids should be doing than what adults should be doing when it comes to being with people? They need to be their age, you know, they need to, and at the same time, to understand what is happening. I mean, not to load sadness and unknowing and pain and suffering, but it's important, I think, that we allow our children to, to experience, but it doesn't stop them being eight years of age. They can have their feelings, they can have their tears, they can be in the in the moment as they are in fully who they are. Yeah, and I would just also just add that allow the kids to be curious, you know, and what are they curious about? And you know that we are living in unprecedented times and kids are also feeling scared. And so to give them space to talk about what they're scared about. And so that it doesn't have to be something that they have to hold alone. Yeah. 
I'd love to hear about your work with chaplains and with people who are also working with folks who are sick, passing away. So we train chaplains. And so what do we do with them? We are teaching them how to be in the midst of chaos and change and learning how to be grounded in the midst of it. And there's a lot of other skills, but I feel like that's the primary skill. And so, you know, we, during this time in particular, we have, you know, 10 meditations a week plus talks twice a week and a guided meditation once a week. And, and we've had clinicians and our chaplains calling in from and on Zoom from the hospital, you know, wearing their face shields and masks and gloves and everything. But it's coming to sit for half an hour just to like be with everybody. Yeah. So that they don't feel alone and they feel like they couldn't do this work without feeling like they're being held in a wider community. And they have piles of pages of condolence calls to make. The devastation that people are experiencing, not be able to see their loved ones and to literally say goodbye to them, like from warm hand to warm hand, is so heartbreaking and devastating for people. So I think that they're holding people's devastation and offering a space of respect and dignity to that. How do you help them stay grounded in those moments? I I imagine what you would say would be helpful for people who aren't chaplains, because I think the grief is palpable. Well, this is actually where the the breath comes in again. You know, it's uh, to be able to stand in what's happening in the grief, in the sorrow, in the pain, to be able to come back into your own body and to still the body for a moment, to feel one's feet on the floor. Um, so this is, as I said, is where the, the breath work is so important. Once the, the, the chaplain or the family member leaves and the chaplain is now back into their routine, or maybe going to the next patient, the next resident in the, in the, mm. in the hospice mm. or the nursing home, there are rituals that we really uh, encourage, and that can be something as simple as washing your hands, or maybe it's to walk around the block, or maybe it's to think of a loved one, to mm. all these rituals, rather than going from one room to the next to the next to the next to the next, yeah. and carrying with me from one room to another the, the pain and the suffering, to be able to really pause and say, I'm here, and this is incredibly painful and incredibly sad. And I have to continue with my work right now. Yeah. Have any chaplains talked about how this time is testing their faith with you at all? It's an interesting question. I think um, I think it's really important for all of us chaplains or not to question our faith. Um, and I think that's something that's, that's very often uh, crops up in, in all people's minds, no matter what their tradition. And for sure, with chaplains, our chaplains, you know, it's the same question. 
Why them? Why me? What is going on here? And there's always that question. And it's a really important question. In Buddhism, we see everything is inclusive. There's nothing outside of it. So many times I've walked into a, a room and, you know, because of this big Irish face and, you know, I'm in black and white, the, the patient just said, good morning, Father, how are you? And I said, <laughs> you know, well, actually, I'm not a father. I'm a Buddhist monk, a Buddhist priest. That's okay. God sent me. It's like, okay, God sent me. And so often I've been, you know, asked, um, do, I, do you believe in God? You know, some of you in the most incredible pain. Do you think there's a God right now? And I'm like, yeah, because God is so present in their life. How can I not believe in God when it's so present for them? Right. Is there an aspect of your Buddhist practice that has become relevant now in a way that you didn't anticipate? Well, one of the first, one of the foundational teachings of Buddhism is that everything is impermanent. There's no thing that is not going to disappear, whether it's a human life or whether it's a piece of furniture. And everything eventually will, eventually will turn to dust. And at the moment, with you know living in Manhattan at the epicenter of, the, of this virus, it becomes very crystal clear that we don't know when we're going to die. And so many of us live in this kind of bubble. It's never going to happen to me or it won't happen here. I'm going to live this long, rich, healthy life. And it takes something like this to smack us into reality. Mm. You know, and we were, we were speaking the other day. We were just going for a walk in the neighborhood and having this conversation. If one of us gets sick tomorrow, we may never see each other again because we'll be carted up to the hospital and then that's it. No more visitation, no more, you know, being with each other and, you know, physically, you know, touching hands and holding hands. That's done. And so there is, you know, the Buddhist teaching again, we don't know. We just don't know. How do we stay in a life of not knowing? For me, the thing that feels most alive is that... just about how fragile and miraculous this life is. And, you know, the teachings is that in Buddhism is, you know, the one that I often think about is that they're called the three treasures and like that life is really a treasure, right? And waking up next to Chodo feels more exquisite and seeing our cats feels more exciting and to see the place where we live feels more dynamic like everything feels like it's becoming more 3d just really noticing things and i feel like you know the tradition really in zen in particular is like really about waking up like right now like now don't wait and that feels so rich and juicy for me right now so we've talked for almost an hour. Can I ask more questions or sure. do you have to go somewhere? <laughs> well, you don't have to go anywhere. Well, we do have theater tickets. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be you. <laughs> just the two of us. I'm on stage. He's in your <laughs> <laughs> Um, What can we do to support one another? You know, 
Maybe we can't afford meditation classes. Maybe I'm in Virginia and you're in New York. You know, what, what can we do to be with one another when we are stuck inside our homes? I would say three things. He can never say just one thing. He has to say. <laughs> no, but I like that he lets me know how many. I'm, I'm prepared. Uh, good. Exactly. So one is reach out each day to someone and so that you can hear their voice, mm. that we're human beings and we need human voices. And like actually hearing someone's voice in our ear helps us regulate in a different way. Mm. And so reach out to someone who you care about. Also into the second one is ask them how they are and pause and allow them to really respond. And the third, I would say, is to write a letter of thanks to someone. It feels good to be grateful. It actually does something to our brain when we widen out. So connect, ask how people are and really mean it, and thank someone. And I have the fourth one. I would say if you are in Virginia and I were in New York and we were I would say, you know, stop everything that you're doing at three o'clock and take a breath. And I will do the same thing. So we'll both stop at three o'clock tomorrow. We'll take a breath and we'll think about each other. It's like, you know, how much I appreciate you, how much I'm missing you, whatever the how much is. We're both at the same time connecting in, in that way which can be very powerful. In many ways, in other ages, we were waiting for a person to show up for us. But I think now what we need more than ever is community to show up. That we need kind of the, to feel really held. And I feel like that truly is the medicine of further times. And I feel like that is very much what our center is about. It's about learning to be that loving, intimate person who's willing to show up and care for who you're with and imagining the people that you can't physically be with and so that they know that they're in your heart and mind. I loved talking to those guys. I felt so relaxed after we talked, even though we talked about really hard things. And I felt so chill without being distracted from the important work that needs to get done to help people get through this. It was really nice. Yeah, even though I didn't do the interview, it made me realize how important listening is. Yeah. So... They've got free online guided meditations through the Zen Center, seven days a week, actually. You can visit zencare.org for a list of times and to read about how it all works. And I kind of want to try it out. All right. You going to do it with me? Sure. Okay. I mean, if Dad's doing it and you're doing yeah, it, okay. I probably want to do it. There we go. Can the cat and the dog join? Uh, I think the cat is very good at 
Zen meditation. I think the dog is less good at Zen meditation. <laughs> That's my prediction. We'll test it out. That's our show. Thanks for listening to Social Distance Assistance. We'll be back next week with an episode on mental health. Have a question about therapy in the time of coronavirus? Leave us voicemail and we'll play it for our expert. The number is 804-404-2859. Social Distance Assistance is produced and engineered by June Hargassel-Robinson-Jones, Kelly Jones, and Molly Bourne. It was created and edited by Nate Toby. Gavin Wright makes it all happen. Digital assistance from Angela Messino and the VPM News Team. Steve Humble is VPM's Chief Content Officer. Music for both of this week's episodes was by Blue Dot Sessions. If you liked what you heard, help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Members are a fundamental part of VPM. Member support is especially vital right now. Through member support, we're able to provide timely and fact-based information, educational resources for our kids, and informative and entertaining content to keep minds active and engaged. Be a part of what makes VPM possible. Visit vpm.org donate to become a member today. VPM.